I'm not anointed enough to use the stool like Pastor Brad. <laughs> I'm going to use it to hold my, my, hold my water. <laughs> Good morning. Uh, my name is Dehan. I'm one of the pastors here at, at Grace Covenant Sterling. I came to Grace about uh, Grace Church about, um, well, back in August, and that's when this site started. And so really, this is the only church home I know, Grace Covenant Sterling. I love this place. And so if you're here for the first time, I hope you know that we're not just an overflow. We're not just a satellite. We're a church that God put here in Sterling for a reason. Amen. If you can turn your Bibles with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Pastor David uh, quoted this verse. It's, it's a great verse, great two verses. Uh, I want to read them for you and unpack this a bit on this incredible morning, Easter morning. God's word says in 1 Corinthians 15, starting at 55, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen to that. So I saw a sign, a big sign in front of a large mall a few weeks ago, and on this sign it said, the Easter Bunny is coming, and had this big date posted. And I remember seeing that sign and thinking to myself, how do we get to this point in society where Easter has been associated with a giant fuzzy bunny that lays eggs? I have no idea how that works. In fact, that kind of Easter would have zero relevance in my life. I don't have a lot of space for big bunnies, honestly. So I'm hoping the fact that you're here in these seats worshiping with us this morning indicates that you know there's more to Easter than a bunny and a few eggs. Easter is the greatest of all day for Christians. Because what it celebrates is that roughly 2,000 years ago, one Sunday morning, several women went to the tomb of Jesus expecting to dress a dead corpse, but instead found the stone rolled away, the grave clothes folded and laid aside, and the angel declaring that he has risen from the dead. And if that was just a historical fact that we celebrate, that at some point in history, a real person got up from the dead, it would be worth getting together to sing about. But what's even crazier about Easter for us Christians is that we don't celebrate that as just historical fact, but it's our present day reality. And that's what I want to share with you this morning. What does Easter have to do with me today? today. And the way I want to start answering that question is to do a thought experiment. Because sometimes the best way to know how something is important to you is to take it away. So I want, to, I want to walk through this together with you. What would it look like if Easter never happened? If Jesus never rose from the dead? That'll be the beginning. And it's going to be a little sad, just to warn you. Okay, I'm going to walk through some things about the implications of what it would mean if death reigned and Jesus never rose. And then we'll get to what Easter changed. And that'll get a lot happier, I promise. <laughs> so let me pray for us and we'll get started. Thank you, Lord, for this morning. Thank you, Jesus, for this morning. Thank you that you rose again. And Lord, impress upon our hearts what that really means for us today. We love you, Lord. Be with me as I share. May it be your words that impresses your people's hearts. I pray this in your name. Amen. So let's dive in. What would it mean if Jesus never rose from the dead? Here's the first thing. Death would be the permanent end of life. 
When was the first time you saw a dead person? You think back? For me, it was when I was a youth pastor back when I was in my early 20s, about 15 years ago. I was a youth pastor, and I get this phone call one night from a young sister, a young high school sister, very devout, devout family. And she calls, and I couldn't tell if she was laughing or weeping because it was just a hysterical voice. I tried to calm her down. Her name was Eunice. Eunice, what's wrong? And she tells me how just a few minutes ago, they were having a family dinner, and they were eating, and one moment she looks over, and her father is slumped into face first into his food. And so they had called the ambulance, and the ambulance had taken the father out, and she, had, she was calling as the ambulance was pulling out of their driveway. And I asked her, you know, what was the, uh, the elapse of time? How long did it take? The ambulance had gotten just there. They lived close to the hospital. Uh, he'll be taken directly to the ER. So I figured, you know, he's a healthy man, young. He's fit. No reason for him to, to die. They're taking him right to the hospital. I told her, don't worry. When I visit, your dad will be up and alert, and it'll be, you know, a time of rejoicing. The next time I see her, I'm in a dark suit. Dad's in a coffin. And I was very curious because I had never seen a dead person before. And so I'm waiting in line to pay respects and to view the body. And I remember looking into the coffin and just being utterly horrified. Because here was this dad I knew just moments ago. Nose, arms, hands, feet, everything that he needed to live. This guy was a servant at the church. Such a good man. And now he was clay, lifeless. And deep in my soul, I just knew this is not the way it's supposed to be. The Bible in 1 Corinthians 15, 26 calls death the final enemy. It is not this benign process that's supposed to just kind of occur, like in the circle of life mantra with the Lion King, you know, we're all in the circle of life, and death is this natural, beautiful thing. That's a lie. Death is hostile. It is against us. The Bible says it's an evil thing. Because God did not design us to die. We were meant to live forever with him in perfect love. And the reason death came into the world is because of sin. When sin entered, so did death, so did decay. The world itself started to fall apart and our bodies and eventually our lives. And if Jesus did not rise from the grave, what would that mean? It would mean there is no answer, there is no recourse to death. For if the Son of God himself cannot rise again, it says earlier in chapter 15, then death is victorious. Nothing can stand in its way. All the miracles he did, walking on water, stilling the storm, all those things were great. But if he had died and never rose, it would not matter. Because he's still in the grave. Which means we would still remain in the grave. Second implication. Death would be the permanent end of relationships. The permanent end. For those of you who've lost loved ones, who've lost friends, there is that inborn hope that one day you'll see that person again. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, where is that hope founded on? Hollywood gets to benefit from a Judeo-Christian tradition that is in this country. And so we all have a sense, a vague sense at least, of heaven. But if Jesus did not rise from the dead, what promise would there be for you to see loved ones who've been lost, who have died? There is in our society this pop religion, the pseudo-Buddhist trend in our culture where the deceased lives on in the rustle of the, the leaves, the, the diamond glint of snow. I'm quoting a poem here, and that's not my fancy words. 
the person you love is no more, but in nature, in, in these beautiful things of sunsets and, and clouds, they're there somewhere. But tell a grieving mother who just lost their child that their baby's in the rainbows and she'll probably slap you across the face because she doesn't want to be reunited with the rainbow. She can't go hug a tree. She wants her baby. But if death had no opponent, if Jesus did not rise from the dead, there would be nothing but the void for those relationships. Third and final, there's more, but I'm just picking these three. Perhaps the worst thing we need to deal with if there's no resurrection is that it drains all the meaning of life. There is this atheist feminist author named Greta Christian. Ironically, her last name is Christian. And she writes about her fear of death. Very honest moment for an atheist. She writes, I think it's on the screen, death can be an appalling thing to think about. Not just frightening, not just painful. It can be paralyzing. The fact that your lifespan is an infinitesimally tiny fragment in the life of the universe, that there is at the very least a strong possibility that when you die, you disappear completely and forever, and that in 500 years, nobody will remember you, and in 5 billion years, earth will fall into the sun. This can be a profound and defining truth about your existence that you reflexively repulse, that you flinch away from and refuse to accept or even think about, consistently pushing it to the back of your mind whenever it sneaks up for fear that if you allow it to sit in your mind even for a minute, it will swallow everything else. It can make everything you do and anything anyone else does seem meaningless, trivial to the point of absurdity. It can make you feel erased, wipe out joy, make your life seem like ashes in your hands. From an atheist. People fear death because of this. They hate to think about it, that the end of life, the end of relationships, and most frightening of all, the end of meaning awaits. Therefore, the Bible teaches that Satan wields death like a great weapon to terrorize, to cast us in fear, and to hold humanity hostage. Now, that's the end of the bad news. I just, <laughs> I know it's sad, okay? But I share all this to paint a realistic backdrop against which Jesus enters the scene. Death is not some noble, natural thing. It's a horrible invasion. It's a terrifying disruption. It's a great enemy that we dress up and sanitize, but naked death is a terrible, terrible thing. And that's why Easter is an amazing day. That's <laughs> why this is the best morning of all, because 2,000 years ago, someone conquered death. Amen. Amen. Not just for himself, but for us. He defeated the great enemy called death. This man, Jesus, was sealed behind a tomb. Three days later, he rose again by his own authority, laid aside his grave clothes, and walked out of the tomb gloriously alive. And so the scripture declares this morning, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? Like Pastor David shared, it was a taunt. It is trash talk against Satan against death. And the incredible news I have for you this morning is that Jesus invites you to join him in that same victory. That he did not just rise for himself, but for you, so you can also share in that resurrection life. But let me unpack that, because to know that resurrection life, you have to first know why he died. The reason he died on the cross was for you and for me. 
because the Bible teaches that we're sinful. And I don't think I need to convince you much of that because we're always doing evil. Think of yesterday and the day before. It's not that we're always doing evil, but that evil is marbled into everything we do. Think, speak, act, so forth. In case you're, you question that, just look at the headlines. On CNN, newspaper, think of all the horrible things we do as a humanity. And if you say, well, that represents them, but does not indicate my upstanding life, well, what if there was a paper devoted to declaring publicly all the things you do secretly? Things you say secretly. <laughs> One of the elders is screaming no. It'd be the trashiest tabloid ever. Right? A newspaper devoted to all your inner thoughts and motives. We are sinful. We are sinful people. But God is perfect, and God is holy, and he cannot condone evil. It must be addressed. If there was even one shred of injustice, the whole moral fabric of the universe would fall apart. God has to defend his holiness, and there has to be justice, and every evil must be addressed. How? The Bible says the penalty of our evil, the penalty of violating a holy, perfect God, is death. It's life. And even more, it's hell. Eternal separation from God. That was our collective destiny. But God could not bear seeing his children pay the price for their own sins and die. And so God faced an impossible tension. How do you punish evil without destroying the evildoers? How do love and justice fit together? And that's where, in a ridiculous act of love, that makes no sense. God gave his own son, Jesus, who he loved with the perfect love, to come into our world, to take up your sin, take up your punishment, and die. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus took on a body, lived a perfect life, just so he can die for us. And on that cross, he wore all our sin, all of our sin, all of our shame, and hung on a cross, the dirtiest, most sinful man in history, and upon his own son, God would pour out his wrath, all his wrath against evil. Justice would be served at the price of his son. And that's why the Bible says God is love, because only a loving God could think of such a plan. And only a loving Savior would say yes and do it and hang on the cross. He could come off at any moment, but he hung there. And died for you. He died three days later. The life in him was stronger than death. And he rose again and defeated death. And that's why our passage says this morning, where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When the stone was rolled away, he was rolling away the curse of death. And the Bible says that if you confess you are a sinner, which should be easy to do, <laughs> and you put your faith in Jesus and what he did for you and how he rose again, this very moment you can be forgiven of your sins. Your shame can be taken away. You could be made clean, the crimson stain washed as white as snow, and you can become a son and daughter of God and have this resurrection life inside you right now. The very life that brought Jesus from the dead his name's the Holy Spirit, can be inside you. And you never have to die. Physically, yes, but not spiritually. I know it sounds crazy that your whole eternal destiny can hang on a decision of faith, that you simply have to believe, and that changes everything. But that's the whole point of Christianity. 
that you don't have to do or earn anything to achieve salvation. God initiated it all. He put the plan out there. He asked his son to die for you. His son said yes. His blood has been shed for you. All you have to do is receive this as a gift and say, I believe eternal life is yours. But it requires that we admit we're sinners and that we need this. And that can be hard. So for the rest of my time, I want to give you a few glimpses of what this resurrection life looks like with God. Maybe that'll convince you that you need it. And so I said before, death, permanent death, ends life, ends relationships, ends meaning. Let me show you how Easter reworks all of that. In death, life ends, but in Christ, our life begins. True life begins. I'm 37. The second law of thermodynamics is at work in my life. I am falling apart. <laughs> Things are dissipating, okay? Things that should be tight and fit are loose and flabby, and <laughs> I know it's hard to tell. I know it's hard to tell. And that seems to be the inevitable direction of my physical body. I'm fading away. But not with Jesus. When it comes into your heart and he breathes resurrection life into you. Yes, physically, you know, we are meant to uh, wear down. But there is a life in us now that will only get better and better and better. Without Christ, we are dying one day at a time. With Jesus, we are enjoying one more day of eternity that awaits us. And it's the ultimate life that we're called to live. The Bible describes this life in earthly language. In Isaiah, this is what the Lord says. The Lord Almighty will prepare a, rich, a feast of rich food for all peoples. A banquet of aged wine. I like that. The best of meats. I really like that. And all the finest wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples. The sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears from all faces. He will remove the disgrace of his people from all the earth. This is the Bible's poetic way of saying that we who are uh, believers of Jesus, who have this resurrection life in, in us now, are headed towards the greatest pleasures, the deepest fulfillment of our desires, the end of all pain, all sorrow, the complete removal of sickness and death. The life we're headed towards is not this disembodied, transparent, gauzy, like floating on a cloud with harps life. It says the finest wines, the best meats. Last time I checked, those kinds of spirits can't eat or drink. Right? We are destined to have, eventually, real bodies, resurrected bodies with arms and legs where you'll eat and you'll work and you'll play and you'll relate and think and invent and sing and dance and do everything you did on earth, but perfectly, with glory. It is awesome. Think of your best moment on earth. It might have been on a basketball court where you went 10 for 10. Or you hit a hole-in-one on golf. Those are very male examples. I can't think of... Uh, you bought the perfect pair of shoes. <laughs> you just had discernment and you knew exactly what you needed. Think of those moments where life was, was it just fit. And you were at your best physically, mentally. Your faculties were sharp and multiply that by a thousand. That's heaven for you. That's heaven. In fact... You will be so glorious that had, if you meet yourself a thousand years from now, if you're in heaven, however long time lasts, but if you were to meet your heaven self now, you'd probably fall down and worship because you'd be so glorious. Amen. 
When we bring Jesus into our hearts, that process begins now. It begins now. It doesn't, you don't have to wait for, for that to happen after you die, but the resurrection life begins now. You see it in glimpses. You see it in patches. But your heaven life begins to unfold now. And the primary characteristic of that life is love. When you start living in the resurrection life, it'll be a life defined by love because God is love. He loves you like crazy. And you were made to love him back. And that's why, for those of you who don't know Jesus, you've tried to fit other things into your life. It doesn't fit work, women, men, recreation. But it doesn't fit because your life was made for his love. And that's the greatest prize in heaven. Not all the perfection, and, and perfection is going to be great. Yes, great steaks, best wine, all the things that we enjoy on earth are just glimpses of what we'll get in heaven. But the best thing we get of most of all is that our beloved God will take his very hands and wipe the tears from our eyes. And we will finally be in the presence of the one who loves us and who we love. The best thing about the Christian life, if you come into the resurrection life, is that you finally wake up to the love you've been looking for your whole life. And the Bible says that if you have Jesus in you and you have this resurrection life, nothing, nothing, no angels, no demons, not the past, not the future, nothing can separate you from that love. Amen. Amen. Second, in death, relationships end, but in Christ, we enjoy eternal community. I have a friend named Dan, a brother I met in seminary, had one of the most tragic childhoods I've, I've ever heard of, abused um, just, you know, had a horrible, horrible father. Very wounded. I was amazed that he wasn't even in seminary. And he was wrestling with, God, how could you do this to me? How could you let this stuff happen in my life where I'm so bitter and so scarred? He hadn't spoken to his father for decades. Towards the end of seminary, Dan gets uh, an email from his dad. His dad's dying of cancer. But his father also got saved. And so here was his dad finally reaching out to his estranged son, come home. I don't have much time left. We need to fix some things. And Dan really wrestled with this because he couldn't forgive his father for all the years of abuse. And here was his dad out of the blue saying, I'm dying, come forgive me. How dare you? But with encouragement from his brothers, he went. And when he saw his father on his deathbed, just so broken, racked with cancer, Dan's heart just melted. And they got busy reconciling. Forgave his dad. In tears, his dad repented before Dan for all the things he did to him as a father. And they had this very sweet moment. And Dan was sharing with me afterwards how painful it was because right in the moment he got his dad back, his dad was dying. And these are the words he told his dad. I can never forget this. He said, Dad, I can't wait to see you in heaven where all this dysfunction between us will be gone. And we can be to each other what we could not be here on earth, father and son. And I cannot wait for that day. And soon after that, his dad died. For those, of us, for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, there are no final goodbyes. The ones you love, well, you will see again in heaven. The Bible tells us that the resurrection of Jesus is the foretaste, the first fruits of, of our destiny. We will, ha- we will get that too. And we will rise again. We will join those in faith who have gone before us. So for those of you who've lost loved ones, be comforted because you'll soon see them in glory. And better yet, 
Whatever problems and dysfunctions you experience in those relationships will be gone, and you will enjoy that person more and better in a perfect way than you ever have. That awaits us. That's our birthright. Finally, in death, we have the end of meaning. But in Christ, we have a living hope. I want to close with this final thought. Earlier I talked about how if Jesus never rose, what's the point of life? I mean, you live 60 to 80 years and then what? But with Easter, that changes everything. I want to show you, uh, just as an illustration here, forgive me for walking off the stage, but a ladder. And I think this uh, is my way of kind of symbolizing life. You see a ladder, and the first thing you want to do is climb it, right? And that's how we, we approach life. We go up one rung, you know, get a job, get a car, and then you climb another, find a spouse, buy a home, and then what? Well, it's a ladder. You got to keep climbing. More money, promotion. You work harder and harder. And here's what happens. You know death is waiting you down there. And like hamsters that spin a wheel, you just have to keep climbing. Because what other meaning can you find but to get up here and look down and say, I, I've arrived. There's people on lower rungs. I've, I've achieved some things. I've got a thick wallet. I've got a portfolio. I've got family, house. And, and you climb and you climb and then you realize that eventually you all fall off and end up in the same place. And this is life without a resurrection. This is life without Jesus. If you're honest, this is life without Jesus. You climb and you climb and you climb to no purpose because you all end up in the same place. What Easter allows us to do, because Jesus rose from the dead, is to fold this life up. And you can say this morning, I'm done climbing. I'm done striving, going nowhere. I'm done trying to climb another rung that has no point. I'm going to lay this life down before the source of life right here. This cross is empty because Jesus rose, but it represents how Jesus climbed down from heaven to meet us, who was all glory. He climbed down to meet us, to pay the penalty of our sins, to rise up to a new life that we can have it. All we have to do is confess, I'm sick of this ladder. I am sick of this life. I'm sick of striving, achieving, all that for nothing. But with Jesus, if you believe in him, you put your faith in him right now, you can have a resurrection life that lasts forever. A life of love, a life of meaning, a life of purpose.